Welcome to Supplemental Materials, a podcast about genetics, genomics, and the people working on the forefront of human health. Sponsored by the Jackson Laboratory, leading the search for tomorrow's cures. Learn more at jax.org, J-A-X dot O-R-G. Welcome, everyone, to Supplemental Material, Episode 8. I'm Dave Mellert. Annalise is not here right now because uh, she had to go outside the building and the heavens have opened up and have uh, poured forth all of the contents, I think. So uh, hopefully she'll be able to join us um, at some point. Just a little bit wet. Yeah, it's a little wet outside. Until then, it's, it's me and Assistant Professor Adam Williams. Welcome, Adam. Good afternoon. How's it going? Ah, I'm well. Are you excited to be on the podcast, sir? Extremely excited. <laughs> Excellent. Um, typically, we either give a little bit of a background or ask people to uh, just sort of give an overview of their research program and maybe a little brief uh, history. So let's start off with, why don't you give a, an overview of what you study here at the Jackson Laboratory for Genomic Medicine? So my lab is kind of stuck between two worlds. We're studying immunology and the immunology of asthma. But we're doing that from the focus of long non-coding RNAs. So we have uh, feet in two different camps. We're understanding the immune regulation and how that goes wrong in disease. But we're really interested in understanding that from a really basic viewpoint of how these non-coding RNAs regulate immune cell function and how that contributes to disease. So let's talk a little bit about this uh, non-coding, long non-coding RNA. So most RNAs, the job is to sort of be an inter- intermediate to produce proteins, which actually are kind of the business end of genes. So what's a long non-coding RNA do? So these are very interesting um, subset of RNAs. They can look very much like an RNA for a protein coding gene. They can be capped, bliced, polyadenylated, but they don't encode for proteins. How, do, how does that work? How can you be fully processed and not encode? So some of them actually can have dual functions, and they can have an ATG and make a protein, but they're dual functions. They also have a, a- role. AUG, I guess. They have, a, they, have a, they have a second life as an RNA functional molecule. Okay. Uh, and these molecules can reside in the nucleus. They can reside in the cytoplasm. They can bind to protein complexes and form scaffolds to recruit different complexes together that otherwise don't come together in the absence of the RNA. So, so how does this intersect with immunology? So if you go back in time... During my postdoc, I was studying um, gene regulation in the immune system. And then several papers came out from John Rin's group on the role of non-coding RNAs, long non-coding RNAs, uh, in various aspects of cell biology. So we were interested in looking in immune cells to see if any of these non-coding RNAs were either expressed in immune cells and whether they regulated immune cell function. And for some RNA-seq experiments, it's pretty obvious that we were seeing lots of these long non-coding RNAs in immune cell function. And following up on these studies, we've now found a number of these RNAs which regulate um, the function, the differentiation, the survival of immune cells. And now there's a number of groups that have also shown these long non-coding RNAs are affecting immune cell function. The interesting thing about these RNAs is there's 10,000, maybe 30,000 of these genes. Thousands of these genes are expressed in immune cells, and we probably know what 10 of them do. Mm. So there's a huge uh, amount of genes that we have no idea what they're doing mm. in the immune cells. There's an immunology course going on at Jack's GM 
right now. So I'm learning about all of the different uh, types of immune cells. There's something like uh, 10 million different cell types. Um, not quite 10 million, but there is a lot of different cell types. Um, every year we discover more cell types. As we profile deeper and deeper, we understand that what we thought we knew about the immune system was incomplete. So when you talk about the function of long non-coding RNAs being involved in immune cells, which subsets are we talking about? Just generally across all immune cells? Or so my lab is particularly interested in immune cells involved in allergy. Okay. Um, so one cell will be the Th2 cell. Okay. This is a CD4 T cell that expresses mm -hmm. cytokines IL-4, IL-5, and IL-13. So this is adaptive immunity? So this is part of the adaptive immunity, yes. Okay. Um, another subtype we're interested in is the eosinophil. So this is part of the innate immune system. This is an effector cell, and this can drive a lot of the damage and tissue remodeling and asthma. And the final cell type we're looking at is the airway epithelial cell. Makes sense for asthma. Hmm. When you study asthma, what, what exactly is the process of asthma, or, or I should say any inappropriate or unintentional uh, immune system action. Um, so there's a number of ways. I'll, of I'll, I'll tell you, actually, let me tell you real quick why okay. I'm interested in that. So I was like bit by some kind of insect yesterday. This is pretty impressive. That is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I got bit like on the elbow and just the whole, my, this whole area of my arm. God, nobody's going to be able to see this, unfortunately, but I've really sort of swollen with. Did, did you, did you draw around it with pen? Well, I, so I went to, I went to the clinic cause I was like, Hey, my elbow is swelling up and becoming huge. I mean, this is really interesting, right? This, I don't think this is something that the body is supposed to do. So yes, it's kind of a, an overreaction that your body's having. Mm -hmm. Um, but the insect bite isn't completely innocuous. Sure. So your body is dealing with whatever this insect bite is. And that's what the immune system is designed to do. It's protecting you from whatever parasites may have been in that insect bite, whatever okay. enzymes may have been in the saliva of that insect. But yeah, that's a bit extreme. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, right? <laughs> so for asthma, I mean, what is going on with, with asthma and why is that such a problem? So just like your insect bite, um, people with asthma are responding to things in the environment. This could be pollen, this could be house dust bite, and they're responding too much. Just yeah. like your arm is swelling there, you get inflammation in the lungs, and this causes difficulty breathing. Yeah. Um, we're trying to understand what is happening and why some people react and some people don't. Yeah, I can imagine if my lungs were going through what my arm is uh, right now, this would be a bit of a problem. So, <laughs> I mean, some people have really bad asthma. There's a friend of mine who I used to play sports with who had to carry around an inhaler because he would often just be completely unable to breathe. You know, how do you envision research into um, the immune system and, and maybe even long non-coding RNAs in particular would help to maybe prevent or, or treat asthma? Yeah, so we're looking for, in the most basic level, um, non-coding RNAs that are regulating immune cell function. If we can understand how the immune cells are acting and why they're overreacting, maybe we can find ways of suppressing them and silencing them, and specifically preventing the asthmatic response. So we take blood from children with asthma and healthy controls, and we're looking to see if there's differential regulation of link RNAs, as well as protein coding genes. So link, that's LNC, long non-coding. Yeah. So link RNAs, LINC RNAs, L -I -N -C, sorry. are a subset of the long non-coding RNAs. Oh, okay. They're just long non-coding RNAs that don't overlap with any other genes. We also have some in vitro models where we can take primary airway epithelial cells 
and we grow them in a 3D culture system. And so they more closely recapitulate the physiology of the lung and the epithelium of the lung. Um, it secretes mucus, it has cilia. So then we can infect with things like coronavirus, RSV. Can you, can you look at them sort of in real time? Yeah, or, and you can yeah. see the cilium beating. Wow, that's really cool. Last episode, we talked with uh, Travis Henson. So he also has kind of a 3D tissue, uh, mm-hmm. in vitro tissue model, but for something completely different, heart, heart cells. But I like the idea of you know, growing little model tissues in a dish. And you really get access to uh, everything. Yeah, the 2D models, they really don't recapitulate mm-hmm. uh, much of the in vivo physiology. We've compared with RNA-seq cells from the 2D versus the 3D, and almost half the genome is differentially expressed, yeah. even though it's the same cell type, just under a different culture conditions. Can you say something a little bit about, now you mentioned your, your postdoc, maybe give a little bit of a sense of where you're coming from and what led you to this field? Yeah, so during my PhD, I was studying something completely artificial compared to what I'm doing now. I was looking at transgene position effect variation. So this was taking transgenes, putting them in mice, and looking how their position in the genome affected their expression. So this really got me interested in gene regulation. So where, where were you at? By This is Yale, right? No, no. So this is my PhD. was at PhD, the um, Medical Research Council okay. um, in Mill Hill. This is the institute that's now closing and moving to the Crick. So I got really interested in the, you know, the epigenetics and gene regulation. During this work... Some interesting papers came out on non-coding RNAs, um, like the beta-globin LCI has a non-coding RNA. Towards the end of my PhD, in the last few months, I found a, a long non-coding RNA in the locus control region of the human CD2 gene. Nobody followed up after I left, but that was my first interest in the non-coding RNA field. And then, as I mentioned, I went to Richard Flavel's lab at Yale for my postdoc, then studying Th2 cells the Th2 locus control region, understanding how these genes are regulated and how they contribute to expression of cytokines and Th2 cells, using the asthma model as a readout in some of the knockout mice we were looking at. So that's where my interest in asthma started. Oh, look look who showed up. (laughs) Hop right into the saddle, Annalisa. I apologize for my tardiness. Yeah, so what's going on out there? The heavens opened and just like that's the same metaphor water. I went with. That's weird. <laughs> you could tell. You could tell that we've been doing yeah, this. Yeah, we've been uh, doing this for a little while. I guess. Yeah. Anyway, we were just talking about what were we talking about? What did uh, I miss? The immune system, long non-coding RNAs. We get starting to get into asthma. Adam's history. Yeah, what was I? <laughs> I completely forgot more. <laughs> I was looking at completely thrown off by the arrival of Annalisa. Yes. <laughs> I apologize. Now Please I keep going. Yes, we're talking about um, using the asthma model to understand the the understand the immune system. When I started looking for jobs, PI jobs, it made much more sense to me to be looking at it from the other way around, trying to understand the disease itself rather than using it just as a model to understand the immune system. Then when I saw JAX was opening, I followed very closely to what was happening here. I saw Jacques uh, Boncherot mm-hmm. uh, took the lead for the immunology. So from then on, I was extremely excited uh, about the potential for the immunology here. So I applied straight away. Well, we're glad to have you here. I'm glad to be here. You have the best um, accent out of uh, anyone that we've had on the show. Sorry, Digu. <laughs> no, it is lovely. Where are you from? Originally, I was born in Oxford, okay. um, but I spent most of my childhood in Devon. Devon. I do not sound like I come from Devon. No. How does one sound when they come from Devon? Not like me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is normally the point when we take a break, but you just came in. That's so. okay. We can take a break and All right. start a new. Let's take a break. 
You're listening to Supplemental Materials, sponsored by the Jackson Laboratory. All right, back from the break. So I think we've uh, dipped into the science, and you missed most of that, Annalisa. I did, unfortunately. I have to listen to the podcast. Yeah, well, we we talked a bit about my crazy bug bite that nobody will be able to see. Maybe, you know what, maybe I could make my arm like the episode art. (laughs) It'd be kind of weird. I've been doing most of the talking, so why don't you you jump in here, Annalisa? Sure, sure. Well, one one thing that I just just thought about was uh, JaxGM is a pretty new place. It's only been here, um, the building has only been here since 2014. And I know that Adam has been living in Connecticut for quite a bit longer than that. Um, you, you came for your postdoc or for grad school? Came for my postdoc. So I've been okay. here about nine years now. What do you like best about being here? Or what's, the, what's that and what is a major difference between England and New England? Um, the best thing, um, my family, my wife, children. The thing that's most different is the sun. Okay. <laughs> Is there more of it here? There's a lot more heat, a yeah. lot more good weather here. And snow, strangely enough. And you like the snow. I like the snow a lot. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, so we, we had Paul Robson on the show a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. He said he liked the snow. He, he missed the snow when he was in um, Singapore. So you don't get much snow in the UK? No. Well, yeah. especially not where I'm from, Devon. Yeah. It's kind of mild. Mild in winter, mild in summer. And so your wife is also an immunologist, right? Yes, she is. She is, yeah. yeah she's at Yale. Oh, okay. Okay. And do your kids, are they interested in science? Uh, science, either sure being a scientist or a ninja. Okay. Wow, that's <laughs> awesome. the options. Can so, you be both? <laughs> I don't see why not. <laughs> that's what I want to do. What else? We always veer towards food. Because we're always looking for new... Now new I'm salivating. I mean, this is going to be really hard now. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> are you a foodie? I do like food, yes. Well, I mean, are you, are you like a food snob who takes pictures of his food and and posts it on like instagram <laughs> i have never posted anything to instagram okay. or facebook do you use sort of an exploratory eater or i do like good food okay i also like lots of food okay they don't always go together <laughs> do you have a favorite place to uh go out with the the family or just you and your wife we don't really have favorites we try and try as many different things as possible mm-hmm. sadly with the kids we don't get out as much mm-hmm. but when we're traveling we try and eat and look for good restaurants wherever we are yeah yeah what's your favorite cuisine oh that's a hard one i do love sushi sushi's good yeah. um but also strangely i do like english food <laughs> so well, describe so what's what english is english food, food? Yeah. <laughs> all i can think of is spotted dick and <laughs> well no sunday dinner bangers and mash exactly dinner sunday is dinner. delicious a sunday roast yeah cooked by my mom Okay, so that's, wait, so that's not just like a day of the week? There's an actual Sunday dinner? Yeah, it's roast beef, Yorkshire pudding, oh, cream spinach. Heaven. Yes, um, it's very good. Yeah, roast potatoes, gravy. Actually, my parents are coming Wednesday night, so. Will your mom cook? So yep. are, they, are they visiting or are they escaping? <laughs> 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 they are visiting. Um, so, so actually, let's talk about a little bit about we, this. Is where I get all of my international news from interviewing people on this podcast. Um, talk well, a little bit a, about this Brexit. Yeah, thing. what does it mean for science specifically? That is a big unknown. It depends who you ask. Mm-hmm. I think it's a terrible thing. Yeah. So for for people who like the eight people that might be listening to this that don't know, there was just a, a referendum in UK where people voted to sever ties with the eu am i getting that right yeah yeah so this is the so-called brexit Hmm. yeah so a lot of money comes from europe Mm 
Yeah. Um, it's not sure what's going to happen with that money, whether grants that have already been established, whether they'll continue, whether new grants will be funded. But even more than that, it's the people. Having free access to scientists in Europe um, is extremely beneficial to British science. And it's unclear about what's going to happen, whether people are going to need visas to come or whether there's still going to be this free access. Mm -hmm. It's completely unknown. Mm. And there's no guarantees. Do you have a lot of scientific contacts over there? Or? In England, not anymore. Not anymore. Um, this is the beautiful thing about science is it's international. Mm -hmm. So even though I was in England, almost all my contacts that were there either left England or were European or American. So they're scattered around the world now. So how, how do your parents uh, who are coming to visit, uh, how are they feeling about everything? I think they're pro-Brexit. They're pro-Brexit? Yeah. I mean, so this is... Com There's like a generational split almost on this, right? Yeah, I think so. But how do you think, just in general, how do you think that's all going to... What do you think the, the ultimate consequence of, of Brexit is going to be? I mean, I've heard people say basically by the time all the new trade agreements are negotiated and everything, it's going to be essentially the same situation. Um, yeah, I think it's going to... At the end of the day, it's not the end of the world. Um, yeah. The economy is going to suffer for a while. Mm -hmm. um, and then everything will stabilize again. Yeah. Maybe then they'll have less say in what happens in Europe, but it's going to normalize. Sure. No question. So what are you going to do when, when the family comes? That's a very good question. <laughs> Eat a lot and drink a lot. <laughs> hey, you know, that's what I do on a normal day. So, uh. Except they're coming for about three months. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> really? Really. Wow. That'll be, that's, that's more than a visit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're not staying with us the whole time. They're traveling around okay. the States. Oh, that's nice. Um, I wish my parents would come for three months. <laughs> well, you want, like, babysitting, right? That too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't get that. <laughs> you going to bring them here? Uh, maybe show them around. Yeah, show them the lab. Yeah. It's a pretty cool place to show people around here. It's we an impressive a really nice building. building. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, what do, we want? do we want to talk about anything else? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just bummed uh, that I missed like the scientific portion because I do have questions. Well, okay, okay. Well, if we don't we want to edit those back in. We don't want to yeah, uh, totally cut you out here. So why don't you ask the science questions that you didn't get an opportunity to ask? Okay. Um, so what uh, people popularly hear about in the context of allergy, because we hear all sorts of things about allergy, how allergies are increasing, um, how they're increasing particularly in industrialized very modern societies relative to those that are, are not as well off. And uh, the major hypothesis that's been a guiding force over the past while has been the hygiene hypothesis, mm -hmm. this idea that we're too clean and our immune systems need to work out, essentially. But is that in fact true? Or is that, I mean, in as far as you can prove a hypothesis right or wrong, is that still the way of thinking? Are we not exposing ourselves to enough of a variety of antigens and that our immune systems become over-excited to healthy things? Or any thoughts on that as someone who is very interested in allergy? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, the hygiene hypothesis has been around for a while now. Mm -hmm. Whether all of the ins and outs of it will last, um, there is a pretty good correlation between lack of uh, infection with helminths, um, the parasites, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then increased burden of asthma or allergy. It's not quite that simple. Okay. Um, maybe if something's to do with pollution, lack of vitamin D, all of these things have been associated with asthma and allergy. So it's going to be many different things together. Mm -hmm. Could be diet, um, antibiotic usage. There are many things that all add together. Okay. 
That was it. That was it. <laughs> that was my major question. <laughs> That's what I wanted to know. <laughs> and we we really still don't actually understand it. Um, like this, have you heard of the Leap trial? So the this leap was trial, in no. yeah, this was in the UK. This is to do with um, peanut allergy. Okay. So there's a massive rise in peanut allergies in children, hmm. and the kind of the dogma has been avoid peanuts until after two years of age. Mm-hmm. But they realize that. Peanut allergies are still increasing. Mm-hmm. In other countries, they don't avoid peanuts mm-hmm. early in life, mm. and they don't have this um, level of allergy. Mm-hmm. And so, in the trial, they randomly assigned children to eat peanuts or not eat peanuts when they were young. Mm-hmm. And eating peanuts actually prevented children developing peanut allergies. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, so the worst thing they could have done is avoid peanuts when they were young. Sure, but there is a strong component, genetic component to this as well, right? Yes. Is that understood? There are a number of genes. I think uh, almost 100 loci have been identified wow. in various studies. So this is really... Such as GUS, yeah. positional cloning. We don't understand what all of these genes are doing. Some of them regulate barrier function. Some of them regulate levels of the Th2 response, such as cytokines like IL-13. Hmm. So it's a complex disease. And so you have all these different variations add up together, and then you stick environment on top of that, and that gives you your susceptibility to asthma or allergy. So you'll be gainfully employed for quite some time. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> this was a good chat, Adam. My pleasure. I, uh, we really appreciate it. Finally got to pin you down. I know you're really busy. And we appreciate you. Professors of all levels, but yes. especially the assistant professors, you know, always trying to... Hanging been, on for dear life. Yeah. I mean, have you been writing a lot of grants and that sort of thing or trying to get papers out as quickly as you can so you can get the grants? and Doing both of those things. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, stressful situation. But it's stressful, but it's fun. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure everything is going to come together for you in beautiful ways, I'm sure. Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. No, he just wrote a beautiful grant that went out in June. I saw you give one of the um, monthly seminars and it was outstanding. So I have... No doubts that you're going to be a rock star. Um, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Can you sign my arm? <laughs> <laughs> your puffy arm. Puffy. You could probably just like sign with your finger. No. Um, I think he just wants you to scratch it. <laughs> I just want your tender, loving touch. And on that note. And that note, thank you so much, Adam. <laughs> thank you. That was kind of awkward. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Bye-bye. You've been listening to Supplemental Materials, a podcast about genetic science and the people working on the forefront of human health. Sponsored by the Jackson Laboratory, leading the search for tomorrow's cures. Learn more at jax.org, J-A-X dot O-R-G.